Welcome to Life Without Secrets. Do you often find yourself comparing your life to your friends on social media? You see the glamour, the success, the perfect family, the perfect kids, the awesome vacations. But what's really behind the highlight reel? In Life Without Secrets, we are going to dive deep and reveal the secrets, struggles, and strategies people have used in real life to get to who they are now and who they are becoming. Because the truth is, nobody is perfect. And you are never alone in what you're going through. So don't forget to subscribe to the show because it's time to connect on a deeper level and grow together. Today, we have the privilege of sitting down with the extraordinary Mark Tim, a founder and co-founder known for starting, building, and selling businesses across diverse industries. Mark wears many hats, best-selling author, investor, advisor, and board member of both publicly traded and early stage companies on the brink of going public. In this episode, we dive into Mark's journey and the profound lessons found in his best-selling book, Mentor to Millions. As an advisor to CEOs of public companies, Mark brings immense experience to the table, assisting them in navigating the complexities of growth and success. The book, co-authored with accomplished mentor Kevin Harrington, an original shark from Shark Tank, unveils the depths of entrepreneurship at its highest level. But there's more. If you find yourself wrestling with the challenge of thriving both professionally and personally without compromising either, you'll want to book this episode for repeat listens. Mentor to Millions isn't just a business guide. It's a deeply personal exploration of how work, life, and relationships can not only coexist, but thrive together. So get ready for a captivating episode filled with insights, anecdotes, and invaluable lessons. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Jill, thank you for having me, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. It actually gave me chills hearing you read Aww. that because it just it makes me remember why uh, I wrote the book in the first place. That is so cool. I feel honestly so blessed to be here. I feel like there is a reason that God put you in my own path, and I feel just honored to dive into your book, get to know you um, in our group, The Dinner Table with Scott Donnell. Like it's just, it's a blessing to me. And I just can't wait to dive into this conversation and more in the future. I actually read your book twice and it's just, it's really good. I wrote so many notes and I think like, I'll be honest with my listeners right now, like this conversation isn't even going to do it justice. There's just so much goodness in your book. And I just, I really thank you for writing it because I think it's um, really needed, especially in the business world of today. Well, thank you very much for saying that. Thank you for reading it twice and (laughs) having a little offline conversation. And I'm always fascinated to know what people took away um, from the book because there is uh, the, the publisher of the book bought the rights to the book because they had plenty of business books. And they had plenty of books on family, let's say, but they had no books that taught practical business principles and how they could be applied back home. And I think, especially for entrepreneurs, the holy grail of becoming an entrepreneur is so that we can somehow be the person at home that we've dreamed to be the mom, the dad, um, you know, the, uh, um, the friend, the, the son, the daughter. And we feel that working for someone else doesn't allow you to do that, but working for yourself does. But then when you become an entrepreneur, next thing you know, your life, you're not working 40, 50 hours a week. You're working 90, hundred hours a week. And all the reasons you want to become an entrepreneur are being compromised because you can't balance these two worlds. And the, I just want to, I just want to rip the bandaid off at the very beginning and say, 
if you've ever attempted work-life balance, it's a myth. It doesn't exist. There is no such thing as work-life balance. But as an entrepreneur, we get to do something amazing, and it's called work-life integration. That is attainable. It's attainable by anybody. It's attainable by anybody listening right now. It's attainable to me, to you. Work-life integration and having your own business is the best way to have work-life integration. And that's really a lot of what the book is about, is how I didn't balance the two worlds. I brought the two worlds together. And that's when my whole life started to change. Yeah, I am so grateful and so excited to get into all these insights and kind of walk people through how that happened. But before we do that, like you yourself are just, you've accomplished so much in life. You have this sense of wisdom about you and you share it to others like with this huge heart. Like it's, it comes through the screen. Like I haven't gotten to meet you in person yet, but like I literally just feel it from you. You have this energy about you that is just so loving and giving. So you're going to love this, but I want to start our conversation with the first question you had for Kevin Harrington that first time at his house, sitting at his dinner table. So tell me about little Mark. Wow. Yeah, you, you really know how to just uh, get right to it and where that where, where that heart is. I think I think probably I need to I do got to take a couple steps back, though, and say, how did I even meet Kevin Harrington? How did I even end up at his dinner table? And, and that is, uh, that's the coolest story because it involves one of my children and we were huge fans of Shark Tank, like massive fans. We would, my kids would all, I've got this chair and there's enough room for two little butts right beside me. And so we're sitting in this big chair and there's a butt here and a butt here. And we're just, we're like picking shows that we can watch and we're watching Shark Tank. And I've always been big on mentorship. And I, I talked to the kids about the mentors I've had in my life. And my daughter looks up the screen and goes, that's your next mentor. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And she's like, Kevin Harrington. I love that guy. He And he, by the way, Kevin Harrington was on the first three episodes, the first three years of Shark Tank. Mark Cuban is who replaced him. So he sat in the same chair as Mark Cuban and he did the first three seasons. She's like, that's your mentor. She's like, I love him. He's my favorite shark. And, and I'm like, Mary, uh, I don't even know him. Like he's on TV. How old was she during that time? Okay. So she would be at the time that she pointed this out to me, she would be about 13. So she's about 13 years, years old. So like 10 years ago. And, and so, and she's like, I don't know, you know, people you'll figure it out, but that's your next mentor. So time passes and I didn't pick up the phone. I didn't call Kevin, but what happened was my original mentor was Zig Ziglar and he died. And it really, it really hit my heart. And I'm like, I want my kids to know Zig. I want my grandchildren to know Zig. And so I reached out to the Zig Ziglar family because I'd become friends. Zig actually mentored me personally. I stayed in his home with the redhead. I got to know his son, Tom. And so I reached out to Tom, his son. We're about the same age. And I'm like, hey, how can I help? Like, there's got to be something I can do to extend this legacy. And he's like, uh, I mean, I want you to help. I just don't know what it is. Little did I know that at the same time that I'm doing this, Kevin Harrington also had Zig as a mentor when he was a young man. He reaches out to the family and says, hey, your dad just passed away. He meant the world to me. How can I help? And so here is the son. And this is why I, I, I've got to go here with everybody to say, 
that if you have the right people in your life, the right mentors, they will continue to impact your life even after they're no longer physically on this earth. So here is my mentor. Here's Kevin's mentor. And he's about to do something unbelievable as he is being buried uh, into the ground and, and going off into heaven. And what he does is that he connects two of his mentees, Kevin Harrington and Mark Tim, through his son, Tom. So Tom introduces Kevin and I and says, hey, you guys are both awesome and we want you involved, but we can't figure out how to get you involved. So why don't you talk to each other and come up with something? So he introduced me to Kevin. And so now I meet. And your daughter says, I told you. Well, (laughs) the original phone call that I had with Kevin It wasn't at his dinner table, but it was at my dinner table. And I thought out of respect for my daughter and her vision for my life and my mentor, the first ever conversation with Kevin Harrington, I had my daughter sitting right next to me. Like she is looking at this E-star, this famous entrepreneur, and she's right there participating in the conversation because I'm like, you made this happen. You planted the seed. And now it has become real. So she's with me. And, you know, and so I meet Kevin and we develop a fondness for each other right away. And you're right. I do end up in his home. I end up sitting at his table and I'm like, all right, Mark, this is your, this is the guy you need to learn from. I mean, most of what I'm doing today in my career, I actually got from Kevin. I was at a place where I'd sold my, I I was in the process of selling my business um, and it was, I'd sold seven businesses at that point. And so at the last one, I'm like, when I sell this, I'm never going to start another business again. I don't want to own another business or operate a business, but I don't know what that life looks like, but this guy has a life that I think I could do. So I'm sitting there going, how do you ask someone that's this famous, that's this successful, you know, a, a, I mean, how do you ask him? And people ask me that all the time. And I sat there and said, I'm going to make him. So he's a, he's sold product on TV. So I'm going to make him an irresistible offer that he can't say no to. And I looked right at Kevin Harrington and said, will you be my mentor? And I said, before you answer that question, I want you to know these things. Number one, I will make it easy for you. Number two, I will implement and do everything you say. And number three, I will be the best student you've ever had in your life. And he looked at me and said, I get asked all the time to help people, to mentor people. And I say no, but how could I say no to that? And so in that moment, at that time, he said, I will mentor you. I will be your mentor. And that began the mentorship relationship. Now, fast forward years later, we're, we're buddies, we're friends. I mean, he, he did his job. The greatest compliment you can give to any mentor is to graduate you know, past them. For them to say, you've accomplished what I set out to teach you go forth, you know, uh, and, and, and conquer the world. Like you shouldn't have a mentor for the rest of your life. You should, you should look to graduate from that relationship and then you become friends. And so we started as a mentor mentee, we became business partners and now we're buddies. That's so cool. So take us back before that point in your life and tell us about like, what was your like entrepreneurship journey like before that? And what were some hurdles that you faced in your journey and how did you overcome them? Yeah. So, so now you're going back. Uh, so I, I didn't start out as an entrepreneur. Um, I worked for, I worked for Kellogg's 
first. Um, I was on the brand marketing team of Kellogg's. They're great. <laughs> Tony the Tiger. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. And so, <laughs> so I went from there. I, I ended up as the director of marketing for USA Today, the newspaper. And I love oh, wow. that because it was a product that just, you know, uh, created a, a brand new product every single day. And I'm working for USA Today. I'm working hard. And my son, Marcus, had just been uh, born. And, uh, you know, and so, but I, you know, I'll go back before that because I think entrepreneurs all have this, if you go back to little Mark, I learned a lot of lessons. I, I started out to be an entrepreneur at very little. So I'll, I'll come back to the USA Today story, but to say my first entrepreneurial enterprise was picking uh, raspberries and blackberries and I sold them for a quarter for a quart. Now, if you apply that to today's world, a quart of raspberries or blackberries is probably worth about 20 bucks. Okay. Cause you're just buying a little, you're just buying a little flat for like $5. This is a quart, the whole quart size. So I was shocked. So did you sell them on like the corner? Where yeah, did you no, sell them? You know, all the neighbors That's- were told I was in the business of blackberry and, and raspberry picking. And, uh, and so they, they were willing to buy an unlimited amount. So I, I spent hours and days picking blackberries and raspberries and, and, and I sold every quart that I picked only to be taught a really valuable lesson. And that is I woke up after one weekend of picking and I had over a hundred chiggers all over my body. Like I was, I was so you, you get these little bites when you're picking in, in these patches. And so I, I literally had the most successful business of my life and I retired three days later because uh, it, was, <laughs> it was simply not worth. And so so I moved from there. I was big into fishing. And so I figured out after big rains, I could catch night crawlers in my parents' yard. And so then I moved to, to uh, selling night crawlers for 50 cents a dozen. And that business was thriving as well until my mother found that I was storing the night crawlers in her fridge. And somehow I left one of the things out and so she goes to the fridge and there are worms all over <laughs> oh, no. in the entire fridge. So that endeavor, I didn't retire from that endeavor, but uh, <laughs> management ceased to support my efforts <laughs> in that endeavor. Oh my gosh, so, that's so good. So anyway, I, you know, I think as entrepreneurs, we have this early, you know, experiences. Uh, and so, but then I... I just, I grew up in an environment where I, I believed I was supposed to go to college, get a degree and work for someone else. And I don't, I don't knock that for my parents, but that was the world that I came from. And so that's that. And I did that. I absolutely did it. But that brings us all the way forward to the story I was telling earlier about USA Today. And I really saw myself, Jill, working for other people forever. And then uh, we, we had our, our son, Marcus. And he is, uh, he's a little baby at this point. And all of a sudden I realize I see him at night when he's asleep and I see him in the morning when he's asleep and I go in, I kiss him, I hold his hand, but he's always asleep because I'm getting home late and little babies go to bed. I was getting up in the night and getting a little bit of time, but that's not the most quality time when they're, you know, they're, they're screaming or whatever through the night. And I got snowed in for three days. It was this huge storm. I lived in the East Coast, got snowed in for three days, and I spent three uninterrupted days with my son. And the very next day, I went into USA Today, and I, I resigned. And I said, I was not put on this earth to see my children when they're sleeping. 
I was put on this earth to be all in, all hands on deck, participate in everything that they're doing. And I'm like, there has to be another way. And that launched me into the world of entrepreneurship. Now, in all fairness, I want everybody that's listening to hear this. My entrepreneurial endeavors were all encompassed by these three shelves in our basement called the shelves of shame. And they were all the ideas that I had that failed early on. And, uh, and so it just because I made the decision that I was going to be an entrepreneur, doesn't mean the first thing I did was a success. It wasn't. It took a little while for me to figure that out and become a success and to become a successful entrepreneur. But that was the early seeds from Blackberry picking to Nightcrawler selling to the shelf of shame. And what I learned from my mentor, Kevin Harrington, is he calls it from failure to Phoenix. It doesn't matter how many times you fall down. It matters how fast you get back up. And at this stage of the game, failing is one of the healthiest things you can do. It's just fail fast, get back up even faster and try again and iterate. And I think had I been successful, had I not had the shelf of shame, I wouldn't even be talking to you today. That is such an interesting com- like concept. So was there literally shelves? Yeah, shelves because I, I, my early <laughs> entrepreneurial endeavors were physical products. And so it was all physical products. And so that was the early was creating products to sell either through retail or wholesale. So there were literally shelves of products that did not succeed. So when I say shelves of shame, absolutely. Shelves of shame. It was real, real physical. The digital marketing world. I mean, listen, Jill, I didn't get a cell phone until I was 26. Okay, I didn't even I, have a I get it. Phone, right? So so there was no such thing. The the internet uh was was not a real thing when I was, you know, that age. You had to have the physical thing present. Yeah, physical yeah. product. That's well, exactly right. I mean, whether people are working hard like in a business or going into entrepreneurship, I think many people, you know, they work hard for their family. Their intention is to provide and create this good life for their family. And then like what happens is what I see a lot is they start missing these important events or their family dinners. And they had these good intentions from the beginning. Right. But then like, just like you said in the beginning, like, you know, you leave a job working 40 or 50 hours a week, and then all of a sudden you enter entrepreneurship and it looks like 80, 90, a hundred hours a week. Right. And the kids sometimes are missing out on family time then and time with the parent who's going after their dreams. And then there's people like me in the past that were actually had a fear of going after these other dreams because their biggest fear is not having this family time, right? And I mean, isn't the point of working hard so that we can eventually someday have that time back? Like, And so then there's this struggle. So how do we have these healthy, successful, loving relationships, follow our dreams, grow that business? Like, what did this look like for you? What was this process like? Or is it even possible? Yeah. So this is where I go back to work-life balance is a myth work-life integration is possible. So I was the guy missing everything. If you, if, if my kids were sitting here today, they would say, dad missed so many things. I was gone all the time uh, because remember I didn't have the internet or cell phones. So I'm going to China four times a year. I've been to China over 40 times. So I was going four times a year to develop physical product. I was gone a lot. I missed everything. And I just, and when the business really started to become successful, I knew instinctively something was so wrong. Like, how could I make a hundred decisions at work with confidence and clarity? And then the second I walked through the door, it was chaos and confusion. 
how could I be praised for all the sales and success that I was having in business, but at home I felt like a failure. And I So knew, many people can relate to that. So I many knew, people can relate to I that. Just, I just knew instinctively that that was wrong, that I was not put on this earth to fail in the area that I felt mattered most and succeed in an area that the world would validate. But the world started to not matter. What mattered is the little faces I was seeing when I walked through the door and I knew I was failing them. And it it happened on a day. I, I'm going to go to the book now because I'm going to a spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you how the, I'm going to tell you how the book begins. The book begins with what I call a driveway moment. And this moment is so significant because I was, so my, I, I bought this property again, as an entrepreneur, I buy this property. I put my office on the second level and so that I can see the driveway. And the whole reason I did that is so that when the kids get off the bus, I can watch them walk up the quarter of a mile to the house. And every day I would watch these kids walk up and I thought, how cool am I to have this office where I can watch my kids walk up, only realizing that the really cool dad would have been standing at the end of the driveway to walk them up every day. And, you know, so here is a day that I'm really wrestling with this whole thing of how can I be so successful in one world and feel like such a failure in another. And I, this particular day, Jill, I made the largest sale that I'd ever made in my life. And to this day, right now, it's the largest sale I've ever made of anything in my life. I made that on that day. I was walking on air. I was high-fiving everybody. I felt like I was Superman. And I get in my truck and I drive. Remember, this is on my property, right? So I, I leave the parking lot, go on the road for just a small amount, and I pull in my driveway and the driveway is about a third of a mile and there's a little hill. So when you first pull in our driveway, you can't see the house. And I stopped and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, I just had the best work day I've ever had in my life. And I don't want to go home. And it was like the, it was a punch in the gut. It was just this horrible feeling of how could I not want to go home and share this with my family. And I realized it was because they, they wouldn't understand. They don't know what I do. In fact, that was one of the big criticisms my kid has, my kids had, is they could never tell their friends what I did because they didn't really understand what I did. He travels all the time. He sells things. He's gone. That's what they, how they described me. They didn't know my business. And that's when my whole life changed in that one moment. And I thought to myself, I have everything in my life upside down. What if everything I'm doing in business, everything I learn in business, what if all of that was simply the warm-up lap? It was simply the batting practice so that I could go home and hit the grand slam so that when I walk through the door, the real gun sounds and the race begins. And everything I've done for the eight or 10 hours prior to that was simply preparing me for what I was about to experience. And I realized at that moment that I could flip everything on its head and I hit the gas and I sped home. I grabbed my wife. I, I rushed her into the bedroom. I'm sure she thought very different thoughts <laughs> were going through her mind than what I was thinking. And I'm sure. <laughs> what I was thinking was, oh my gosh, just hear me out. I know this is going to sound crazy, but trust me on this. 
I'm going to legally incorporate our family. And that meant nothing to her, but she saw passion and purpose in my eyes. And she's like, sounds awesome. Why did I do that, Jill? Because I understood business. I understood companies. I understood LLCs. I understood, you know, everything to do with a company. The language and the lingo made sense, but everything to do with family was confusing and complicated and drama and chaos. What if I made my family the most important business in my life? What if every business I had was to support that business? What if my family became the most valuable business in the world? If that happened, then truly everything I was doing up to that point was to do that. So the next day, I legally incorporate my family. It's called 2B Tim's LLC. It's in the book. Um, We talked about that earlier. And it's a real corporation. It's registered in the state of Indiana. You can look it up if you want to. And from that day forward, I started running my family like a business. We had shareholder meetings every Sunday night. My youngest child owns the same percentage of shares that I owned. They had, so they, cool. they had a voice. They had a vote. It mattered. I taught them. The language I used in business now applied to family. And so, therefore, if they were my family business, if they were the most viable business in the world, then they had to be integrated into my world. And I'm here to tell you one of the most things I'm most proud of in my life is that from that day forward, for the next five years, I didn't take a single business trip without one of my kids with me. Not one. I didn't go to a single negotiation. I didn't go to a single mastermind. I didn't go to a single, any business trip. One of my children was with me. And what we did on airplanes and Uber rides and hotel stays was develop this relationship that went so deep. It's like an oil well that we were digging this oil well 10,000 foot deep. And we, when we struck oil, like it is, it, it has created the most rich relationship with my kids. And because I did that, I get to be their dad for the rest of their life. So that, that one change of integration, by the way, this was not balance. This was not me balancing. This was me integrating my family. When I went to a mastermind, I took two pages of notes for my business and 10 pages of notes for my family. And then I would come home on Sunday nights when we had our, our shareholder meeting and I would teach them everything I learned in the mastermind. That's what I was going to ask you. So what do these families meetings look like? Is there an agenda? Do you prepare for it? Do other people pre- pre- prepare stuff in the family? Like walk us through what the, cause like, I'm like, I want to implement this family shareholder meeting, but like, first I, I'm like, what is the shareholder and how can I incorporate that? And like, do I have to prepare something for this family meeting? Does my kids have to prepare something for this? What is everybody's role in this business of family? If you're picking up what I'm putting down, if you're smelling what I'm stepping in, the very first step you have to take is a family meeting. Like if you've got kids at home, you've got to do a family meeting. Pick the time. doesn't matter. It can be, some, we did it Sunday nights. doesn't matter when it is. It doesn't matter how old your kids are. If they're little bitty, your family meeting is like 10 minutes. Okay. It's a bit, if they're older. Um, and, and it's probably the appropriate time. Uh, if you stay till the end, I'm going to give you a link and I'm actually going to give you my family meeting guide. I will... I will, I will te- I, I've got a family meeting guide that teaches parents with young kids how to do it or parents with older kids how to do it, but it, it literally gives you the, the family meeting guide. But here's how it works. Yes, you have to prepare. 
Okay. You've got to put some time into it. And what we figured out is at the beginning, I had kids, Jill, that I don't think I'd ever seen them do homework before in their life. And suddenly five minutes before the family meeting, they had homework. Wow. Because it was a bore. It was like, what are we doing here? Oh, we got to go to a family meeting, blah, blah, blah. Like it was just not fun. And so what I realized is, is that one of the most important characteristics of a family meeting is to have a fun element to it. So we don't have a lot of sweets in our house. So we basically decided that at the end of every family meeting was going to be a sweet treat. And one time we did like a s'mores, uh, um, you know, basically where they had a buffet of s'mores and they could pick anything they want, make their own, you know, s'mores. We did ice cream, whatever. We made it so much fun that they couldn't wait. They were like, hey, can we do a family meeting on Wednesday nights? Because they knew, you know, they want some treats. <laughs> then they so, get more dessert. <laughs> yeah. so, so yes, we had an agenda, but we also made it really fun. So that it was something they wanted to attend. But very quickly, once they got into the idea, they started, um, they started really looking forward to it because they realized we taught them that being a shareholder meant that you had equity, that we... Probably the coolest thing we ever did, Jill, was we came up with a family mission statement and a family logo. And every kid participated. Every kid put their effort and energy and their voice and their vote mattered. So I was doing logos. And I think I used uh, Logo Tournament was the source that I used. So I'm doing a logo for my business and I got like 50 submissions. We decided to do a logo tournament for our family and we got like 500 designers that wanted to design our family logo. It was the most epic thing ever. I think they just were so into the idea of developing a logo for a family. So now we're going through like hundreds of logos and, and then we finally narrowed it down to like five and then we sent it out to like friends and relatives and stuff like that and, and, and finally picked our logo. So we did things like that. So yeah, we had agendas, but the biggest thing that we did in these family meetings was we really called out cool things. Now, what's a cool thing? If, if one of our kids kicked the goal in a soccer game, they got the accomplishment on the field because they got the high fives from everybody. So we were looking for the things that were the person who passed the ball to them. So for example, at our family meetings, we empowered our kids. You would get called out if you could tell something good that someone else did, not what you did. It wasn't a pat my back and let me tell you how awesome I am. It was tell me how awesome one of your siblings are. And you got way more kudos for seeing awesomeness in a sibling than you did for awesomeness yourself. And we call this a turtle on a fence post. So if you were to come to our house right now, there's probably 50 turtles in our house. Why is that? Because the concept is really simple. And there's some short books about this. But basically, if you ever see a turtle on top of a fence post, there's only one thing that you know for absolute certain that turtle did not get there by themselves. There's no turtle on the planet that can climb a fence and put themselves on a fence post. It doesn't exist. So if a turtle's on a fence post, somebody else put them there. Mm -hmm. And so we taught them to look for and acknowledge the people who put them on the fence post. So if in fact they did something cool, we certainly called it out, but we had them identify who were the people that put that turtle up there. How did they get to that accomplishment? So we did a lot of that in our family meetings. There was a six month period where we, we were in a Bible study and uh, we learned that there were 26 character traits 
um, of, of good character that we call it CQ, uh, character quotient. And so we ended up having the kids do presentations on each character trait. So it took 26 weeks. So it was half a year. So every single Sunday night, we had them one child presented a character trait. Now in the beginning, they were just like talking about it and they Googled it, et cetera. But by the end, are you familiar with Prezi? So Prezi was like PowerPoint on steroids. It was like this really fancy PowerPoint. And by the end, we had video embedded Prezi PowerPoint presentations on grace and mercy. And, uh, and wow. And like they were just like going all in. So when it came. And what made them so excited? I feel like some of my kids would be like, oh, my gosh, I am not going to do that. Oh, no. They, what, what made them so excited was we made such a big deal about their presentations. Like we were like, what the what the what? Like how did you do that? Like, that was amazing. And so, and it, it kind of became a sibling rivalry a little bit. It was like, uh, I can't show up with like a flashcard if my brother did a PowerPoint and now I can't just show up with a PowerPoint. I have to show up with a video. So the, the, the way it worked out because we had an even number is we ended up with three character traits left. And so we paired them up. And so the very last round of presentations, we did their, 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 grandparents were there there some of their cousins were there like this became this like massive kind of thing where they were presenting and we were presenting on character traits honesty humility you know i mean it's just like that's what they were presenting so um anything i was doing in business we did there um, we, the, the kids all took the strength finders they took the uh, love languages the five love languages uh, dr Gary chapman is a friend of mine so they did the five love languages. Um, they did. Uh, we spent a lot of time on love languages, by the way. If you've never done that as a family, please do that. It was heartbreaking to learn that one of our kids had a love language of gifts. And we're not a big gift giving family. It's just not who we are because none of us have that love language, but this one child. And so we realized, oh, my gosh, we've been telling this child we love them. And what we really needed to do was buy them a pack of gum or a Tic Tac or, a, you know, just like that's how they hear I love you instead of me saying I love you. And so it was it was awesome. Oh, by the way, anytime we did things like this, they had to present their love language to the family. OK, when we did the strength finders or the disc personality profile, they had to present to the family what their strength finder was, what their love language was. These are such awesome ideas. Like we just get, went through like an entire year's worth of family meetings right now. Like I'm so excited to implement some of this stuff into like our family meetings. I'm, I'm so grateful for this conversation. And I just, I was like, I have to know all the details because that's how people implement things, right? Like I love the idea of a family meeting, but I'm like, okay, we're having this meeting on Sunday, but like, I'm not actually sure what we're supposed to do here. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you like, look, you don't want to overcomplicate it. Like, oh, oh, by the way, by the end, by the, by, as the family meetings progressed and our kids got older, I started making them lead the family meetings. Oh, this was funny. My for one day for father's day, my kids gave me a gavel. What is a gavel? Yeah. For the family meetings, like, uh, like, uh, you know, an actual like gavel. It was the most hilarious oh. thing. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, it was the most hilarious thing because, okay, why did they do that? Because I'm going to throw a real wrinkle 
into this whole idea of family meeting. So we also, uh, hold on, yeah, I'm letting my daughter, my daughter, Mary, keeps uh, trying to call in. I got to let her know that we're, I'm, I'm on with Jill. I'm on with Jill. So, <laughs> She's um, so awesome. Okay, so we started doing um, family court. Oh, oh, So if you got in trouble, let's say, let's say the family meeting was until Sunday and you did something wrong on Wednesday, we would acknowledge that you did something wrong. We would acknowledge that it was an infraction, that it was not a good idea, but we wouldn't take them in and immediately uh, talk about punishment. We would say, Hey, um, you're going to have to go to court on Sunday. And so we would have special sessions sometimes during a family meeting where we would hold family court and family court was the child sat up in front of the family and had to say what they did, why they did it, and why they're not going to do it again. Oh my and gosh, this is the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> based on those responses, the jury, the jury would decide the punishment. Oh my goodness, this is so good. <laughs> I am 100% implementing this. Get this. In fractions, when we started this, let's say let's say we had on a monthly basis, let's say we had 10 infractions a month. When we started family court, they dropped to like two because the kids would beg us to punish them and not go to court. They didn't want to go to court. Because <laughs> then they would have to be subjected to whatever their siblings right. thought their punishment their, should be. Their siblings, <laughs> their siblings were so creative. Like they had to write uh, apology letters to the people that were impacted. They had to... They had to do dishes for like a week or, you know, I mean, they were, the, the kids were way tougher than we were. Like they were, and far more creative, by the way. So, but by the end, if you genuinely gave a heartfelt, this is why I did it. This is what I did. And this is why I'll never do it again. Then they had a lot of mercy too. They had a lot of mercy and, and really for everybody listening, the punishment was 99% just sitting up in front and owning and taking personal responsibility. That's really what was accomplished was personal responsibility was taught. And, and, oh, oh, this is the best part. The, the older kids were way more responsible for the infractions in the beginning because the younger kids were like learning at warp speed what not to do to, you know, what to make sure they didn't do to avoid family court. Like they, they were, they, so there was this I, I bet. learning that took place too. So that is so fun. So, okay. So you'd have these family meetings and then you also take your kids on these business trips now. So I want to know, like, what was it like when you began to take your kids on these business trips? Were you scared how they would act? Like how old were they? Did they keep going on these trips yeah, once they, they started? Okay, so they, they have to be a certain age where they can totally be self-sufficient, meaning I can't okay. be in a meeting and have to deal with biologic functions or food functions or whatever. They have to be self-sufficient. So you, you can't start this because they're little. It doesn't work, but they have to be able to take care of themselves and, and deal with themselves. And how old were yours when they started going? You know, I'm going to tell you, that's a great question. I get asked it a lot. There's not a certain age. It's a certain responsibility. There are kids at 10 years old or nine years old that are totally self-sufficient and can manage and handle themselves. 
there are kids that are 13 that you can't take. They're, they're not able to manage themselves. So it's not an age. It is a, where are they at maturity wise? Where are they at, you know, um, where they can handle and take care of themselves. Um, so I started, the, the first thing is we weren't, we homeschooled the kids when they were in elementary school, but once they got to middle school and high school, they were in public school. And so the biggest challenge I had in the beginning was how do you pull your kids out all the time from school? So I had to go in and I had to negotiate with the administration and say, I believe this is the most important thing that I can do for my kids and I need your support. And they're like, well, they get 10 days and if they don't have a note, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's not going to work. Like, I just can't do that. So I said, I'm willing to pull my kids out of school. Like, I'm, I'll go that route if you make me, but I'd like to find a compromise. So we had to find a compromise. And the compromise was they had to go around to all their teachers, get all their teachers to sign off that they were 100% up to speed on all their work and they were doing well in the class. And then the kicker was they got no time to make up, meaning if they were gone for three days with me on the fourth day, all homework was due. They had to take all tests that they had to take, et cetera. When you're sick, you get like this grace period, but they got no grace period. They had to do their work while they were gone. They had to turn it all in, et cetera. And, uh, and so that was fair. I, I felt like the administration was fair in that regard. So, um, so they, I would take them with me and I had high expectations, but this became such a popular thing that um, on the, so you, you see this behind me here. Imagine this is a four foot by eight foot whiteboard. The, the kids became so into going with me on these trips. It became such a big deal for our family that my wife had to do squares. They were four inches by four inches. And it was my schedule for the next two months. And it was where I was going, when I was leaving, when I'd be gone. And then it had a child's name associated with it. And they would they would look at this board it also had like their activities and stuff that was going on. And it wasn't just about me, but it was, it was how we managed the family, but it would be scheduled out months in advance. And so the kids were just, they're really into going and it meant the world to me and to them. So I'm going to take you back to Kevin Harrington's. I'm sitting at his dinner table and I've been doing this for a while. And one of my kids is with me on this trip and she's sitting at his, like, he has this like, like a, You've seen him in a kitchen before, like a bar at the end of an island, like a little overhang. So she's sitting over there. I'm sitting at the actual dinner table. She's sitting over here. I'm having a meeting with him. And all of a sudden across my computer comes up this message from my daughter who's in the same room, but over there. I don't really look at messages usually in meetings, but I'm like, I got to read this. I open it up and it says, Dear Mr. Tim, it's come to my attention. You are in desperate need of a personal assistant. I happen to know somebody that would be qualified for that. And I'd love for you to meet them and to consider them as your personal assistant. Now, remember, um, Kevin Harrington, the, where this came from is he had a personal assistant that, that was everywhere with him, like anywhere he went, anything he did, you know, that's a lot of celebrities have that. But she saw that and she saw that person. And so she's like, okay. So I'm like, okay. Um, I respond back, dear Miss Tim. Um, you may be right, but, uh, I don't hire anybody without going through the process. I still had one of my companies at this point. So I put her through, I introduced her to the HR department of my company. And, and so she had to create a resume and she had to interview with the HR department in my company. 
And then after you make it through there, if you make it through there, you got to go to my number two in command and interview with that person. And I was at the stage where I didn't really hire anybody except for like a C-level. And so if they made it through there, I was just meeting them and saying, welcome to the team. So she like does a resume, submits it to HR. Um, her mom and her like come up with what she's going to wear and, and everything, get her all situated. And she interviews and she goes through the whole process. And next thing you know, she makes it through the whole process and she's sitting in front of me at my desk, like to be hired. Like normally someone would be hired. I'm like, Hey, sweetie, this is awesome. And you did an amazing job, but to be my personal assistant, you can't go to public school. Like, how could you travel with me and go to public school? She's like, Oh, mom and I already talked about that. And, uh, I'm prepared to enroll in an online high school so that I can travel with you for the next year. And she dropped out of high school, her freshman year of high school, the most kind of quintessential important year. If you do the public school freshman year is like a big deal. She drops out of high school, enrolls in an online high school and travels with me on 33 trips over the course of a year. Wow. That's amazing. I that and that was the best education she ever had. Totally. And she started she started going on some trips without me. She she learned how to go into a meeting and like take notes and I would leave the meeting and by the time the meeting was over, I'd have bullet points of everything I agreed to do and everything everybody said they would do for me. That's all I asked her to do and she would capture all of that and send it to me. So this traveling with me, it started off, it was kind of a new and it was fun, but it became really deep. And we had just such deep conversations. They left their familiar world and entered my world. And we were able to really grow in ways that we're still benefiting from today. And I, my oldest was the first one that got to do it. And he, he's now a real estate mogul. He's got like 10 rental properties and he's done phenomenally well, but he would trace it back when people say, how did this happen? It was because of something bad that happened in his life. He was, um, on an overseas exchange program. He made a mistake. It was his mistake. He hurt himself. He ended up in the hospital. His trip got cut short. And he's like, what am I going to do? He can't go back into school. It's the middle of semester. And our thing in our family was anytime something bad happened, we said, what does this make possible? What is possible now because of something bad that happened? And what was possible was he could travel with me. And he spent the next four months traveling with me. And it set him on a trajectory that is put him where he is today. And so what does it make possible? You can travel with your parents for four months because you don't have any other obligations or you travel with your dad for four months. So this, this integration, if you really believe that you were put on this earth for something bigger than business and maybe it's your family, then integrate it, make it real. When your kids can travel, travel with them. When you, when, when they're too young to travel, share, share whatever it is that you're learning with them, you know, get it to their level so that you can communicate with them. But, I believe so much of the success of my kids was caught. It wasn't taught. They watched it in real time. They watched it from people like you and your husband. They watched it from people that were in my life and they caught it instead of me constantly teaching them. It was caught by people that I put in their lives. That's what happened on travel. 
That is amazing. And I am I'm so grateful for this conversation. I want to shift it a little bit, but it's still the same because I see this in your kids as well. But what kind of mindset do you think is required for someone to become so successful? Like what do you think has been the biggest up level to your own success? Like when it comes to having that mindset? That's a great question. What's the mindset for success in your kids? I think. I mean, because your kids have it, like you, you started with it, right? Like, because you had it in well, the beginning. And in all fairness, I was a farm boy from Indiana, so I, I was somewhat limited in my view of the world. But I learned three things living on the farm. I learned the value of hard work, the value of a dollar, and personal responsibility. And when I, when I first had Marcus, my firstborn, if you gave me a pad of paper, Jill, I would have written two pages of things that I thought would be necessary for him to be successful. And then 10 years later, that would have been one page. And 20 years later, it's like three or four things. And I truly believe that if you teach your children that they are ultimately responsible for every decision they make that they can't blame anybody. They can't push it off on anybody. Personal responsibility is, is right there at the top that success doesn't come in, uh, suits and ties. It comes in work clothes. Like you want to, you want to be successful. You better put your work clothes on because it's hard work. You know, after that, it comes right down to if anybody's ever heard of the Harvard study, Harvard study studied thousands of people for their entire lifetime. It's the longest study that existed in personal success and happiness. You would think that the key element to success is money. Not at all. Uh, Rich people oftentimes die way younger than poor people. Uh, You would think that it's... um, um, let's say genetics. Okay. That people, no, it's not genetics. It's not wealth. It's not genetics, not even geography. It's the, it's the amount of quality relationships that you have in your life. How healthy are the relationships you have with your siblings, with your friends? It's the people who have the most meaningful, deep relationships in their life. They're the ones that are, that, that have the most, um, success and have the most uh, fulfillment in their lives. So you teach your kids to be, um, to be personally responsible, teach them to work hard, but teach them to have real relationships, relationships with you. So here I am every single Monday night. So you're like, okay, this is all great. Everything we've talked about is great, but what now? Like your kids are they're, they're in their twenties. I mean, they're, they're moving on with life. They've got careers, they've got their own homes. They've got boys that are friends in their life and girls that are friends in their life. I mean, they, you know, what now? So I started a while back, um, mentorship Monday and every single Monday night, the adult children in my life, if they will feed me, it's all my requirement. They got to feed me, make something, something, whatever. I will mentor them on anything in life. And it can be love, it can be um, insurance, it can be finances. Um, we're doing a we're doing a whole session on this coming Monday on if you're a 1099, then you have to how do you handle your taxes if you're a 1099 employee of a company because nobody's taking that out for you. So we're doing this whole deep dive into that this coming Monday night. 
we did a huge dive into Israel. So I'm not an expert on that, but I have a friend that was in the Israeli military. So I called him and he like taught my kids all about it. I'm not an insurance, I'm not an expert on life insurance, but I have a friend that is. And so one Monday night, we did an hour and a half session on IULs and whole life and term life and all this stuff. They, they, that session could have lasted like five hours. They were so a- asking so many questions because they're, they're interested. So you can keep this going, but I, I only get to do this now with my young adult children because I invested in them so heavily when they were young and I took them with me. And so now they want me to mentor them and they want to know what I know. And so you can keep this going for the rest of your life if you do it right when they're young. They want you to mentor them. They value your wisdom later in life way more than they did when they were teenagers. When they were teenagers, they were smarter than me. So therefore, they didn't need any of my wisdom. (laughs) So I could hear some people coming to this and going, well, you know, it's nice, but like, I don't know how I'm going to have enough hours in my day. I don't have time. What What are your thoughts on managing time? I see a lot of entrepreneurs do it all, go all in and they're this like one man show and, you know, they try to do it all themselves because of lack of funds or lack of a good plan or feeling like if they let go to this one thing that they're doing, then it won't be that successful because they've spent years creating it. Like, how do you determine like, how do you get time back? How do you determine when to hire someone? Who do you look for to hire? I feel like this also translates into family as well. But how can we, how do we deal with this time situation? How did you do that? So how I did it, let me go back and say what I figured out after that driveway moment was that I was giving my family my last and least. They were getting the last hours of the day and the least energy that I had. And therefore, I was having the least and last impact on them, and it wasn't working. So how do you get the first and best? Well, I realized that I was the best in the morning. So what I did is I became, I'm not a chef by any stretch, but I became a short order cook in the morning. I was my best, and I wanted to be the guy that gave them the most, I wanted to send them off into their day with the best wisdom I could give them. And what I did was, is that I would make them whatever they wanted for breakfast. You wanted cereal, that's fine. If you wanted a waffle, that's fine. If you wanted a egg over easy, that's fine. If you want an omelet, that's fine. But the requirement was I made them anything they wanted, but they had to sit there and eat it with me. And they were mine for that period of time. And so I found a slot in the mornings that was meaningful. And it wasn't like I had the quantity of time, but I found the quality of time when I was the best and they were open to me sharing with them and really breathing into their lives. So as an entrepreneur, you don't have to have this like it's this is not what I shared with everybody. I'm I was still crazy busy and doing all kinds of stuff, but I I found the slots that I could really have the biggest impact. What were the levers I could pull? that had the greatest impact on their lives. And I wasn't pulling 50 levers. I was pulling three levers that I had the bandwidth to be able to pull. So I pulled it in the morning. Then the other thing I did was, especially as my kids got older, teenagers, for some reason, can put up this force field for like most of their day. But there's a period of time at night that somehow that force field comes down. And there were so many times that I was like hand on the bedroom door to go to bed. And my teenager would say, Hey dad, can we talk? 
And the old me would say, hey, let's talk in the morning during breakfast, realizing that the next morning they had nothing to talk about. And the new me was, you bet we can talk. And we talked right now. And sometimes those conversations lasted three minutes. Sometimes they lasted three, 30 minutes. Sometimes it lasted three hours. My son, again, Marcus, gets asked a lot of questions about how did you become who you are? And he's like, I remember going to my dad one time when he was about to go to bed. And he stayed up with me till 3.30 in the morning, teaching me and just molding me because I was ready. So when the, listen to this very clearly, when the student is ready, the mentor will appear. And sometimes you, it's not convenient as a parent. It's, it's when you're at your like dog dead tired moment that the student is ready, but it's when you need to appear and when you got to go all in. And I've seen so many parents miss that. So many people miss that. They're like, oh, let's talk the next day or the next morning and it's gone. So it wasn't that I carved out all this time. I just was ready and it doesn't happen very often. So it's not like I was staying up till 3.30 in the morning every night. It was maybe once a quarter like it. But when they're ready, you got to find this, this strength that you didn't know you had and you need to go all in because it doesn't happen very often. Like the teenage portal is closed 99% of the time. But when that portal opens, you got to go through it. Yep. That's such a good point. I feel that very much so in my life. When I look back, it's those moments. And if you don't think I was tired, Jill, at 3.30 in the morning, I was dying. But the portal opened up and I went through it. And I see the benefits of that one conversation, that one night. And my son is still benefiting from that one conversation. And if I had said, I'll talk to you the next morning, we would have never had it. And where would he be today? That's so good. So do you have any advice on where to look for the right mentor? Because we talk a lot about mentors here, like that you said in the beginning, like that is what really helped you in learning from Kevin and, you know, you're here today and you've gone on this journey. Do you have any advice on where to look for the right mentor? Yeah. So I get asked that a lot. So this is a common question. I'll say it again. When the student is ready, the mentor will appear. The very first step in finding the right mentor is standing in front of the mirror by yourself, looking at the person staring back at you. And having an honest conversation and saying, am I ready? Am I ready to grow? Am I ready to change? Am I ready to learn? Am I ready to implement? Because oftentimes people go looking for a mentor and they're not ready. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. Yeah. They, don't, they don't find them or they find the wrong mentor. But if you're ready, if you're truly ready, then you're going to do something next that is the most scariest thing you've ever done in your life. And you're going to deploy into your inner circle. I don't care if it's social media. Like if you want a mentor today, uh, this, is, this is 2024 here, and you have a LinkedIn profile or an Instagram profile or a Facebook profile, doesn't matter. If you go right now after listening to this, and you say these things and you post it on all those platforms. My name is Mark Tim. Only don't say your name is Mark Tim. Say your, your actual name. <laughs> My name is Mark Tim. I recognize that I'm at a place in life where I am ready to learn 
and ready to grow and ready to become everything God intended me to be. And I'm looking for the right people in my life to help me get there. If you're that person, would you please raise your hand and reach out to me? Or if you know that person, would you please introduce me? Your life will never be the same. But don't do it unless you're ready. But when you're ready, it may not be your your best friend. You know, my best friend's name is Scott. It, Scott may not be the guy, but he may know the guy. And he just didn't know I was ready. And it, it may be it may be someone two times removed from you that that doesn't have a relationship with you, but knows the person that you should meet. In my case, it was my daughter that pointed out my next mentor. And I didn't even know that person, but I was ready. When, when the time came, I was ready. And so if you want to find that person, just first make sure you're ready. And then secondly, be insanely raw and vulnerable and put it out there. And I believe, okay, I totally believe that you already know everybody you need to know to be successful, to achieve everything that you were put on this earth to achieve, you already know today. It doesn't mean that the person you know is that person, but they know the person that's going to help you achieve everything you were put on this earth to achieve. So you already know everybody you need to know to be and become who you were put on this earth to be. The question is not who you know, it's are you willing to be vulnerable to meet that person? That's really the question. It's not who you know. You already know. I promise you already know. But are you ready? That's the question. So then I have a question for you. As a mentor yourself, what do you look for in a mentee? Well, I'm going to answer a different question, then I'll go to that. Um, I want to I say this to everybody. If you're looking for a mentor, first question you ask them is who's mentoring them? I, I found in my life that if... If you have a mentor that's not being mentored, if, if I'm a lifelong learner, I believe I will have mentors for my entire life at 52. I just told you how old I am. Didn't mean to do that. Um, <laughs> I'm actually looking for some younger mentors. Like I'm at the stage where I have some mentors that are older than me, but I'm looking for some people to teach me things I don't know. And you don't have to be older than someone. You don't have to look for a mentor older than you. You just have to look for a mentor that has something you don't have. So I'm, I'm entertaining mentorship relationships with people that are younger than me because they know things I don't know. So when I look for a mentee, okay, uh, this is wood, but right next to me is brick. Okay, so I guess I, if people are watching the video here, they can show that right there. See that brick? That's brick right there. Okay, brick. Okay, so it works like this. So um, the so how a mentor-mentee relationship works is the mentee's job is to learn from the mentor. So what the what what a lot of people do when they're mentees, um, Jill, and you know people like this. We're not going to name them here, okay? But they are the mentor's job is to they have bricks. Bricks are forged in fire. For those of you who don't know this, it's like mud, like literally mud that's forged in fire and becomes a brick. So it's really hard. So their wisdom was forged from failure and from fire and from hard things and it becomes a brick. 
a lot of mentees are brick collectors. They go to all these masterminds and they watch all these online things and they just collect all these bricks. If you take all the bricks that a mentee collects and you stack them up, your seven-year-old could go up and go boop and push the whole thing over. And it just falls over, right? It's just a stack of bricks. So what is it that makes a wall? Like this house is being held up by bricks. This is a brick house. How can, how can a bunch of mud that's been forged in fire build a house that can withstand a tornado? It's because those bricks need mortar. Mortar is the concrete that goes in between the bricks. So wh where's that mortar come from? It comes from someone who takes a brick and then they implement and they try it and they, and they teach other people. That's where the mortar comes in. You take wisdom that you learn from a mentor and then you, you implement it in your life. And ultimately the, the, the ultimate implementation is that you learn something from your mentor and then you teach someone else. That's what forges the, the mortar and the, and the wall. Now you've got something you can build a life off of. You've got bricks that have become foundational to your life, foundational to your business. Long, long way of saying what I look for in a mentee, I don't want a brick collector. I don't need a brick collector. It's, it's, a, it's, it's possibly the most disrespectful thing that you can have as a mentor is somebody that's just collecting your wisdom and not doing anything with it. I want somebody that's going to implement and try it. And ultimately, what do I want? I want someone that's going to teach other people what I've taught them. That's the ultimate in a mentee is I'm going to be your best student. And then I'm going to teach other people what you've taught me. And that's when bricks become walls and foundations and they build houses and buildings and structures and they change lives. That's what you're looking for in a mentee is someone who will do that. And then you step back as a mentor, Kevin Harrington steps back and goes, he was my mentee. Pretty cool, right? That's what you want. And, and, and the best compliment is Kevin says, and he doesn't need me anymore. We just play golf together. You know, we, we went to his, he, he has a beautiful home on the beach. Uh, he has a couple homes, but one of them, we flew down there and just hung out with him and his wife and played golf. Like we've, we're at that stage and it was beautiful. Like he can look at me and go, yeah, yeah, I did that. I, that the, I, I see that. And, you know, so you're looking for that. So in a mentor, you're looking for someone who's a lifelong learner, someone who has a lot of wisdom that you don't have. And a mentee is someone who implements. If, if, I, if I have a mentee and I teach them something and the next time I meet them, they, I say, how did it go? And they go, oh, I haven't implemented that yet. That's my last meeting. Mm. We're done. We've, we've expired our relationship. Like I'm not doing that. Got it. Yep. That's awesome. I love that. And it also teaches the person and holds them accountable. And I think accountability is so huge in our own growth as huge. well. Personal accountability. You got to, if you're going to take the time to extract someone else's wisdom and not do anything with it, don't waste their time. Don't waste your time. Mm -hmm. You're a brick mm -hmm. collector. Totally. And ultimately you get enough bricks and, and they're just, uh, they're just taking up space. And, uh, and they're in your way. So, and I know lots of them, but don't be that person. Yeah. Well, there's so many secrets to success in business and relationships in your book that I want people to go read because it is just like 
the secret sauce in my opinion, like so much growth, um, just building your business on an like exponential multiplication level, as well as your family and your relationships. If you had to leave listeners with one piece of advice, what would it be? I, I kind of had a feeling you were going there. <laughs> one. I know. I, I gotcha. <laughs> Well, if you can hear, if you can hear it in my voice, you know that that we there's there's there was no script to this uh, podcast because we uh, nope we're going where we need to go. Wow, one piece of advice that I get to leave all of the listeners with for the rest of their life. This is heavy. Okay, well, they, so they they've read the book, and um, and when they read the book, and you've read this. So I finished the book and I turned the manuscript in to the publisher because I had a deadline, right? I, they paid a lot of money and they wanted me to keep a deadline. I kept the deadline, turned the book in. But I instinctively knew, Jill, that something was missing. I turn it in and then I literally leave the next day after turning it in to go to Hungary. And I am teaching 500 Hungarians who are first time entrepreneurs. What do I mean by first time? First generational entrepreneurs, meaning entrepreneurship is not something, they were a communist country. So being an entrepreneur is an impossibility. So here I am, here I am teaching people and people who are like, I became an entrepreneur and I'm, I'm trying to make a better family and a better life for my family. And I'm away from them all the time. And this is not what I thought it would be. And so I'm there, there's a language barrier. And so, um, I take three of my kids and they go with me to Hungary because work, work, life integration, they're there. They don't understand the language. I don't understand the language. I've got an interpreter the whole time. And the last session of the last day of the event was supposed to be me talking about my whole family because they've seen my family the whole week. And the person putting on the conference says, hey, I've had a change of heart. Rather than you stand up here for two hours, how about we bring the three kids that this 500 people have been watching the whole week and we bring them up on stage and we ask them questions. So I go over to my kids. I have no time to prep them. I have no time to tell them anything. And I say, hey, they're going to go up on stage and they're going and, and you're going to go up on stage and they're going to ask you questions and uh, just answer from the heart. And two of my daughters are like, no, <laughs> and it's like you can take us up on stage, but we ain't saying anything. We are not talking at all. Like you do this. This isn't happening. You're, we're going to look to the older brother, Marcus. He can speak for all of us. We'll go. So we go up on stage. Here we are on stage. And again, I have no chance to prep them. And Marcus does exactly what you'd expect the older son to do. He talks for all of them and he talks about, and the question is, what was it like to be the father of an entrepreneur? That's the only question. That's one question. Or the son or daughter of an entrepreneur? Son, son or daughter of an entrepreneur. That's it. So he answers it. I'm not taking anything away from him, but it was exactly what you would expect him to answer. Like all the, checked all the boxes, all good. You know, wonderful. Thank you, Marcus. But then he passes the microphone to my next daughter and she does what I expected her to do. She passes it to the other daughter. <laughs> like she's, there you go. 
And this daughter starts talking and her voice is cracking. It's like, she's so nervous and she's so afraid and she's sitting up in front of more people than she's ever been in front of in her entire life. And she says these words, I hated that my father was an entrepreneur. And I'm like, this just went the wrong direction really fast. <laughs> but there was this moment that he changed everything and decided we were his most important business and that we became the focus of his entrepreneurial endeavors and we became the most valuable business in the world. And I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't want my dad to be doing anything on the planet. Not a single thing I can think of that he should be doing, but being an entrepreneur. Because we get it. We benefited. We wouldn't be here today. We love that he is an entrepreneur. 500 people, not 499, 500 people that don't speak English are bawling. Actually, 501 because I'm bawling. So, so 501. I am crying. They're crying. People are consoling each other. They're holding each other. They're hugging each other. They're on the floor with each other because all they want is to have one of their kids say that. All they want is to work their ever-loving butt off so that one of their kids sits up in front of 500 people and says, I don't want you to do anything but this because it's what you love to do and we're a part of it and we see it now and we get it and we hated it for so long, but now we understand it and now we don't want you to be doing anything but that. And what I really most want people to hear and what I most want people to walk away from this podcast is, is that if you're doing something you're passionate about and you were like me and you left your family out and you, you they, they couldn't say what you were doing and they didn't know what you were doing and they were lost at how to even describe what you were doing. Like you have a chance to do what I did with my kids, which is to integrate what you're doing to integrate your passion, to integrate your purpose, to bring them in, to make them part of it, to, to involve them in all of it. So that one day when they're sitting in front of 500 people, they look out and go, I don't want you to do anything else but that. And it only happens when you bring them in and when you decide that they are the most valuable business in the world. They're the most valuable business you will never work for, you will never be a part of, you will never sit on the board of, you will never be involved in anything more important than what you come home to. It's not what you go to, it's what you come home to that matters most. I think you're going to have a lot more tears flowing after that one. That well, was just so you know, really if you're watching, powerful. like I'm, it, like I got tears in my eyes right now, just, just sharing it. And it's been a, it's been years since then, but it, it, it impacted me significantly. And to this day, 
I still get people that reach out to me from Hungary from that moment. It changed their entire perspective of being an entrepreneur because they realized that it can be worth it and it can be enough and they can be the parent that they were put on this earth to be and be the entrepreneur they were put on this earth to be. So beautiful. That was the best answer I could have ever asked for. So thank you. Just so you know, I wasn't prepared to give you that. Just so you know. That just... it, it, it was, it, I mean, that's what we all needed to hear, right? Because that's the truth. That's the truth. That's like our basic human desires is like love and relationships and, you know, also being fulfilled by what we were put on this earth to do. You know, we were here for a purpose. So thank you for sharing that. How can people connect with you from here, get your um, book, your resources? How can we connect yep. with you? No problem. Um, so I've got this link that uh, was put together uh, when I was promoting the book, actually. And it's CEO Dad, CEO, like the CEO of a company, CEODad.org, O-R-G. And in that link, um, don't worry. Uh, you have to put your email in. I'm not marketing you with a bunch of stuff. I don't sell anything. Um, I just share. That's it. And so at this stage of the game, you go there. And in that link uh, is a free audio copy of the book, Mentor to Millions. If you want a physical copy, uh, you got to buy it on Amazon or you know, just type in Mentor to Millions. And I'm sure you're, you, there's lots of places you can buy it, but Amazon's easiest. Uh, but in that link, there is also a little ebook that is how to win at home like you win at work. Um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure in that link is also a uh, family meeting guide. So if you want to start doing family meetings, and I hope you do, uh, please start doing those. Like that's, that's the, that's the, if, if you want to know your first next step, there's, there's two first next steps. If you're listening to this and you're married or you have a partner, your first next step and you're listening to it by yourself is get your partner to listen to this as well. Because if you go all in and I've had people go, I just listened to this podcast with Jill and it was like, blah, 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 so amazing. And we got to do all these things. They're going to go time out. Like, out. Yep. We've been there. Back we've been there up a little bit, <laughs> you know, like how about we listen to this together and we take some notes and we decide what we want to do. So step number one is if you're listening to it alone, get your partner to listen to it with you. And then step number two is probably family meetings. Like that's the that's the next plus best place to go. So go to ceodad.org and a lot of free stuff that I did with my family that I shared here is there. Wow. We are so grateful. Like, thank you so much, Mark. Like not just for coming on here, but then just gifting everybody with so much, so many resources and your book. Like that's huge. So I, I literally cannot tell you thank you enough. And I am just like, overflowing with gratitude for all the wisdom that you've shared on here. This is like been a game changer. I had so many questions like, well, what does this really look like? And like the fact that I got to sit on here and ask them and share it with so many others, like what a gift, like what a gift. And so thank you, honestly, from the bottom of my heart for coming on here, for joining me, for agreeing to come on Life Without Secrets and share the secrets to your success and your success in your business and your relationship. And I just like this book is so powerful. And like, that's why I read it twice. I just got it. A, like, what was it like a month or two ago? Yeah, and I just came, I, out of a, I, came out of a meeting we were on and like we were. Yeah. And you sent it. 
it was just amazing. And I'm like, I, I, I'm like the second time I'm like, I just have to ask him like, if he'll come share this on the podcast, this is just so good. So well, in all fairness, Jill, I say no to nine out of 10 requests I get mostly because I'm, I'm really focused on the work I do with companies, but you and your husband really inspired me in uh, the group Aww. meetings I ran. You're doing amazing stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm certainly jealous of the age of your children. And I think that's awesome. But uh, keep doing what you're doing too. And, and the listeners out there, you, you found an incredible resource here in Jill. And so I hope you, uh, I hope you appreciate that because uh, there's, there's not many truly pure um, resources. There's a lot of people that are all about the followers. And then there are people that are all about the impact. And, you know, I, uh, I'm going to say it this way. There are people that are interested in impressions. Impressions are likes and follows. And then there's people interested in impact. I'm here today because I see you as someone who wants to make an impact, not an impression. Wow. Well, now you have some tears flowing too. <laughs> thank you. That's probably the biggest compliment ever. So really, honestly, thank you. Thank you for being here. Don't forget to check out Mentor to Millions for a deeper dive into the intersection of professional success and personal fulfillment. Be sure to share this episode. Watch it with your spouse if you have one, like Mark said, because I can totally relate to what he said. And like we, my husband and I have those moments all the time where it's like, hold on, time out, rewind, go back, tell me again. So um, make sure you take this journey with you and your spouse too. And, you know, remember your journey is not just about building successful businesses. It's about crafting a life that thrives on both professional achievement and personal and family fulfillment. So until next time, thanks for being part of this insightful, amazing conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Life Without Secrets. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode.